Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we talk with the authors of the new book, Wild Rides and Wildflowers, Philosophy and Botany with Bikes. First, an email from Kylie in Moab. I received it yesterday. Pass this on to you today. Kylie says, this Wednesday, the 19th, at 2 p.m., at the BLM office on Dogwood Avenue in Moab, we're protesting the industrialization of the area, pipeline safety violations, culinary water being used for drilling, watershed protections, tar sands, potash mining, public land destruction, etc. The time is now for action. We must take a stand to protect this beautiful region that we call home. Bring a sign, bring a friend, and please spread the word. So that's uh, Kylie and Moab. And so we've done our part, Carla. We've, we've spread the word here. Uh, that is Wednesday, uh, tomorrow, 2 p.m. at the BLM office on Dogwood Avenue in Moab. Now to the subject at hand. Two university professors set out to bike the Great Western Trail again and again, observing and writing about its variations with every season. The accounts of their adventures, however, refuse to be limited to flora and fauna as they explore a fear of aging, male uh, behavior patterns left over from junior high, anguish at the relentless development of wild lands, and what Thoreau described as wild and noble sights, such as they who sit in parlors never dream of. We're talking about uh, Utah Valley University professors Scott Abbott and Sam Rushforth and their new book, Wild Rides and Wildflowers, Philosophy and Botany with Bikes. It's out from Torrey House Press. There are a couple of events coming up. Uh, this evening is the book launch, 7 p.m. at the King's English Bookstore in uh, Salt Lake City. On the 26th of March, a reading at Utah Valley University, the Library Auditorium at noon. And on April 22nd, reading and discussion as part of the Orem Rights series at the Orem Public Library, 7 p.m. Uh, those uh, events for you, beginning tonight with the book launch at the King's English Bookshop. Scott Abbott is author of a book about Freemasonry in the German novel, two books about travel and literature, and he was jazz critic for the Salt Lake Observer. He's been translated several works by Austrian writer Peter Hanke. He's a professor of integrated studies at UVU. Uh, integrated studies, philosophy, and humanities, I should say, at UVU. Scott Abbott, welcome to the program. No, thank you very much. And Sam Rushforth is former dean of the College of Science and Health at UVU. He studies aquatic botany and wetland ecology. He's published more than 100 papers and books. He's mentored nearly 40 graduate students who are now working all over the world. Lives in Orem. Sam Rushworth, welcome to the program. Thank you. And I believe we have reached uh, each of you um, in Orem, is it? Utah County, That's anyway. Right. Uh, so let me start um, perhaps with Scott. Uh, how did this all come about? This, this, this came about with a column, I believe, that uh, I, I believe you pitched to the Salt Lake Observer. That's right. The editor, uh, Brooke Adams, is our friend and I told her she wasn't covering sports or gardening very well, and that uh, Sam and I could cover both in one column. She took a chance on us and uh, and published it till the paper paper's demise. Sam, I'm reading in the preface that uh, you got on board uh, to. Um, you didn't think Scott would uh, would do a good enough job. Yeah, Scott's not a very good writer, so uh, I had to get on board to make sure that each week's column was. Uh, was acceptable. <laughs> Very good. We're getting a little bit of an echo from you, Sam. I wonder if maybe you could oh. move a little further away from. Uh, maybe we're getting it through uh, Scott's telephone. I think that's true. I'm hearing it too. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if you can move uh, somewhere else. Uh, by the I way, you um, both gentlemen speaking from 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 one house. I believe it's 
Sam's house or Scott's house there? Uh, we're speaking from my office, and uh, we can get Sam into the next office. Okay. That's the okay. best answer here. Okay. Great. So while uh, while Sam's moving, uh, Scott, yeah. t- t- tell us tell us about the Great Western Trail. This uh, you, you gentlemen, um, I guess some would consider this kind of crazy. Others would would be admiring of this. Decided in in all seasons uh, to repeatedly uh, bike at least a, a portion of the Great Western Trail. Uh, right uh, by uh, our homes in uh, Orem at the mouth of uh, Provo Canyon is one stretch of the Great Western Trail, which stretches from Canada to, to Mexico. And we were much too old to ride the whole thing, but uh, we uh, every day we could reach that portion of the trail. And uh, we just thought it would be interesting to see it in different uh, kinds of weather and different times of year and see the kinds of changes that go on annually and that sort of thing. So that that's how the I guess that's how the rides began. It was uh, more for the nature side of it. It turned into discussions of everything from philosophy to family and and everything. Well, or you could turn it around and say that it was more for the psychology. A couple of guys like us aging uh, face depression pretty regularly and uh, getting out on bikes uh, as a psychological uh, kind of thing. So, and we like nature and. Uh, try to be healthy and so it's a combination of things yeah uh sam how did you how did you strike up a friendship oh scott and i have known each other since uh oh gosh it's got to be 25 years um we were giving papers at a symposium and met one another and we've been friends ever since and uh oh after a year or two realized we both were bike riders so we went on a couple of rides, and one thing led to another, and gosh, we ended up riding just about every day for, oh, a decade or longer. Hmm. Uh, so that's extraordinary in and of itself. You're out biking um, every day, mm-hmm. uh, including the wintertime. Yep, uh, ex- except on those days that were very, very sloppy, and uh, our bikes would get jammed up, and we couldn't uh, couldn't use them, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, in fact, some of our uh, favorite rides were in the winter. Yeah, hard winter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott, tell me about this 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 country, the, this portion of the Great Western Trail that uh, you and Sam are were riding. Provo Canyon cuts down through the most beautiful blue limestone stretches that you can imagine. And in fact, there's a limestone fold that appears on uh, the front of geology magazine uh, textbooks sometimes. Uh, it's the Provo River runs down through there, and uh, it's it's an extraordinary combination of south-facing slope and north-facing slope, and depending on which side you're on, you get uh, different kinds of flora. And uh, it uh, Mount Tipinogos uh, looms right over it, so as you're climbing to the north, you're uh, climbing up the up the side of Mount Tipinogos, and you can go around a couple of uh, little bumps that jump the out and go clear around through American Fork Canyon, and suddenly you're on the uh, you're up on that alpine loop above uh, above uh, Pleasant Grove, and and then the trail goes all the way to Brighton. Yeah, that sounds like beautiful country, and and there there there's elevation and decline. In other words, you're climbing some of the time. Yeah, neither one of us is that good going downhill, but we really like to climb uphill. Yeah. <laughs> is that true, Sam? 
That's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, Scott, you describe your uh, bike as a red specialized stump jumper M2. That that would mean nothing to me, but for to some some bike riders, it would mean something. Your bike's heavier than Sam's, you say? That's the main deal. Sam's always had a lighter bike than I do, which is uh, just not fair if you think about it. Uh, Sam, what kind of bike do you do? You, do you ride? Uh, well, I, I rode for many years a Marin, and then I moved to a Trek, uh, a Trek uh, carbon fiber bike. Uh, and uh, we've we've gone through some some bikes and some changes and some gear changes. In fact, for a while we were we were pretty uh, technically savvy, and then we sort of decided that the rides were more important than the technology. So we we slowed. We actually were very very competitive in our early riding. We slowed down our competition, slowed down our our, our uh, gearhead work, and began enjoying and thinking more about what we were doing. Hmm. So, uh, Scott, you you were out there, you and Sam, for I guess for exercise, for friendship, for nature, for mental health. What uh, all those reasons? Yeah. Um, it didn't work very well for mental health. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sometimes not. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, um, maybe have Scott tell this story, because you're, you're sort of uh, the observer here. Uh, this is early in the book. You're out on a ride, and uh, you spy a uh, an ATV and a motorcycle. And uh, I don't know what, uh, you know, most people's reaction would have been, but uh, Sam heads down, straight downhill. He's going to confront them. Yeah, I'll pick up the story there. So it's February, if I remember right, and uh, it's been a hard winter, and there's a herd of uh, uh, maybe 100 deer below us, and uh, winter's a hard time for deer. And we we hear the motorcycle and the ATV, and then we look down, and, and they're chasing the deer. And uh, Sam swears, as he often does, and, uh, and then dives off the hill going after them, and... Um, I figure he may need some help, or or those two guys may need need help. That's not clear. <laughs> and um, so I dive down the hill after him, and he's down there giving him a lecture about uh, about what are they doing? They're, they're harassing the wildlife, uh, and uh, they're just steely eyed, and they they think we're just just a couple of old guys, and uh, they don't even react. And finally, they just uh, rev up their machines and off they go and um and we figure we've been real effective uh, communicators at that yeah. point yeah. Uh, sam you describe yourself as the more impetuous perhaps of the two in terms of maybe personality and and as a writer uh, one could say maybe more reckless that's probably true although that's no slam on scott we uh we just have different styles and and going downhill um, I, I tend to like downhill rides, uh, and uh, may, may, maybe we end up getting uh, a little too exuberant going downhill. In fact, uh, later in the book, I describe a situation where I have a terrible crash and, uh, because I was uh, going too fast. But, uh, and then also, uh, Scott's, Scott's an innately better bike rider than I am. I fall over more than he does. <laughs> but so I I suppose that's that's probably an accurate description. Scott, what do you think? 
Momentum is a big part of balance, and Sam's always been a lot more powerful than I am, and that uh, translates into momentum. Uh, he often could uh, could get up places and down places I just couldn't get. Uh, so if I had better balance, he had better power and momentum. And uh, we're going to take a brief break here. We're talking with um, two uh, UVU professors, uh, good friends, and uh, riding companions over many years. And they uh, wrote about their um, adventures, their thoughts, their conversations, their arguments for the Salt Lake Observer and then uh, for the Ca- for Catalyst magazine. They've collected those and, uh, and added some writing, and the result is a very interesting book, Wild Rides and Wildflowers, Philosophy and Botany with Bikes. We're going to get into some very interesting uh, themes that they treat in their book. Um, on these rides, they talk about religion, uh, talk about BYU, uh, talk about aging and family. We'll get into uh, all of those themes, which we're all concerned about, uh, universal themes, um, and, of course, uh, nature. And uh, we'll have one of the gentlemen read uh, from the epilogue. Maybe we could prep that uh, Wendell Berry quote about uh, uh, traversing uh, territory again and again, which is what these gentlemen did over the Great Western Trail. And we'll get to talking about all of those issues following a break. By the way, gentlemen, uh, you're both sounding great at this point, so we, oh, won't, we won't go to the speakerphone uh, option. Uh, more following the break. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. This week we've Deborah Madison with her newest book, Vegetable Literacy, We hear about the high-wire act of farming coconuts. We learn how to profile, of all things, beers. And Mario Batali takes over Food & Wine magazine. That's The Splendid Table from APM. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Center for the Arts, presenting the musical comedy The Addams Family, Saturday, March 29th at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. in the Allen Eccles Theater. Information at cachearts.org or 435-752-2206. UPR's spring membership drive begins March 20th, and we're looking for volunteers. If you can help answer phones and complete member information, we'd love to have you join us during varied hours of the drive. For more information or to sign up, go to upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with uh, two Utah Valley University professors. Scott Abbott uh, is author of a book about Freemasonry and German novel, two novels about travel and literature. He's professor of integrated studies, philosophy, and humanities at UVU. Sam Rushforth is former dean of the College of Science and Health at UVU. He studies aquatic botany and wetland ecology. He's published more than 100 uh, papers and books, met dozens of graduate students now working all over the world. At a certain point, these two gentlemen uh, struck up a friendship, started uh, biking on a regular basis, a uh, portion near their home of the Great Western Trail. And uh, this involved uh, love of nature, but also uh, philosophy and conversations as wide-ranging as everything from religion to family to aging. And uh, we'll discuss uh, many of those themes today. A very interesting book resulting from their regular column, first in the Salt Lake Observer, and then in Catalyst magazine. You're welcome to join the conversation, if you would like, at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. 
You can uh, join us at our email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Or you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. You can see a uh, picture of the two gentlemen with their bikes um, and a comment there. We have three people who've liked this post, Tamara Ratita, Heidi Baxley, and John Carmen. Thanks for that. And uh, Scott Abbott and Scam Rushforth will be uh, involved, of course, in the book launch, and that is tonight at 7 o'clock at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. There are a couple of other events. On the 26th of March next week, a reading at UVU, Library Auditorium at noon, and then on April 22nd, reading and discussion uh, as part of the Orem Rights series at the Orem Public Library, 7 p.m. Uh, with the book launch tonight, 7 o'clock, King's English uh, Bookshop. Uh, hopefully the book I have, which is a advanced review copy, matches up with the uh, copy that you gentlemen have. I wonder if uh, I could have one of you read uh, this uh, interesting quote from Rendell, Wendell Berry, which begins the epilogue to the book. I've got that. This is Scott. Okay. So um, this is from Wendell Berry's story, At Home. He went back the way he had come, again taking his time, seeing everything now from its opposite side. It was as though he made the place dimensional and substantial by his walking both ways over it, granting it the same interest in going as he had in coming. To his mind, it was old beyond knowing and yet new, timeless and yet momentary, so that watching it as once more it opened before him, old as he was, he was renewed. And what does that, uh, what does that mean to you? You, you're involved in, in retracing and retracing. It's, um, so it's an old man in the story who's uh, the narrator, and uh, we, um, we identified with that. Um, the picture, by the way, that uh, you just uh, uh, said was on the Facebook page is a good 15 years old, so we look, uh, we look a lot better there than we do now. <laughs> um, so this man with age is... Uh, is, is retracing places he loves and um, and it's really meaningful in fact the meaning in his life comes from that and we found similarly that uh, going back and forth and back and forth over the same piece of ground uh, lets you know it more intimately and uh, and more deeply and more wonderfully than when you just hike over something you know I wonder uh, just over the page page 336 under uh, uh, Sam, if I could get you to read a, a passage here, it's uh, you've passed. Uh, I think each of you you've passed a, an orchard which has been destroyed. I get you thinking about uh, religious belief. We'll get into that a little later. Also, aging. The two of you talk about, and I guess worry about, as we all do, uh, aging. Talk about death. Um, this is um, this is the part that st- starts uh, Scott. I say the destroyed orchard long behind us. Uh, hopefully you have the same page number there. Okay, what's your page number? Uh, 336. Okay, let me give that a try. We may have different page numbers. But in any case, it's uh, in chapter 48. It's the same page. Okay. Scott, I say, the destroyed orchard long behind us. Don't you think the fear may be the key to the whole deal? Aren't we all afraid in the end? Don't all of us fear loneliness and death, and especially personal slow decline and the loss of our loved ones? Aren't some of us willing to believe anything in order to lower our anxiety, to make some 
uh, way of uh, to make some sort of way of uh, in a nonsensical and mostly evil or at least dangerous world. It's probably more complicated than that. Scott answers. Guilt may play an important role as well. And in the end, don't you think a million reasons exist for a million people for whether or not to believe? That's just what's interesting to me, I suggest. Do people make a decision to believe and then just do it? I could never get myself to do that, no matter how hard I tried. Belief for me finally turned out to be in friends, love, truth, straight-up conversation, the earth, my family, the troubles my forebears went through. Hell, I don't know, sometimes I wish I could believe in a hereafter and the potential to be with loved ones again. I've got no such impulse, Scott replies. I'm happy enough just to be alive. The rest belongs in a novel, at least for me. Being with loved ones, however, is an ongoing pleasure. Tim and Sam spent the weekend with Lynn and me, brought pleasant, funny, helpful boys, both pleasant, funny, helpful boys. I watched them mature and develop and sleep a little easier. So that, uh, and preceding this, you've you've been talking about um, your journey of belief, or journey from belief to, to, to not believing. Uh, Sam, you you write about uh, you and your wife listening to uh, watching, I guess, Mormon General Conference, trying to trying to get into the the viewpoint of the the authorities of the church speaking there. But I think each of you gentlemen has has made a journey um, out of the belief, at least the in the in inside the church. Both raised Mormon, were you? We were we were both raised Mormon. That's exactly true, and uh, I uh, we're both uh, still quite tolerant. Though neither of us are uh, active or uh, believing Mormons at the moment. And Sam, in that passage you're reading, you're you're both uh, trying to reason out um, the you know what 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 motivates the people who who do have that belief. I guess you're, you're trying to get inside that. And that's, uh, I can, of course, only do that for myself, but um, life has always been a fearful proposition for me. I've, I've been on the edge of depression for much of my life. Uh, I've looked around and, and found lots and lots of problematic things. Friends have died, all kinds of things like that. And uh, I, I have just thought it would be so easy to believe, to believe that, Everything will be made right on some other uh, side, in some other place. But I could never, uh, I can't believe that, and I could never force myself or bring myself to go there. Hmm. Before I turned on the subject to Scott, I, I wonder what your thoughts were uh, in this area when you had your very bad bike accident. Your your face was uh, <laughs> was was really messed up. Um. <laughs> I don't think you know you're in danger of dying, but it was it was a pretty bad accident. It was a pretty bad accident. Uh, uh, actually, my face looked better after the accident than it did before. But uh, <laughs> improved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, uh, I I lost an eye. I broke a jaw, and I I shattered my eye socket in a, a pretty heady accident. But uh, I I never ever uh, went towards religion from there. Um, Scott saved my life in that particular accident. I was face down in a puddle of blood, and he pulled me out. And uh, my wife came over quickly, and I was hauled to the emergency room where I spent three days. And I, I was a pretty big mess. But again, 
my uh, myself, I was concerned and filled with love for my friends and for Nancy, my spouse. Um, and I never once thought about um, a, a greater being or another life or anything of the sort. And so for you, as you said in this passage, it's it's about friends, family, love, truth, conversation, earth. That's exactly what, what it's about, and I, uh, I work hard in all of those areas, trying to do my best and trying to uh, be helpful to people and to the earth, and that's become the meaning of my life. If you just joined us, we're talking with Scott Abbott and Sam Rushforth. Uh, they are uh, professors at Utah Valley University and authors of this interesting uh, new book from Tory House Press, Wild Rides and Wild Flowers, Philosophy and Botany with Bikes. It's the result of their friendship, their rides along their portion of the Great Western Trail, their conversations about everything from religious belief to aging to family, everything in between, of course, uh, nature and, and the earth, conservation. Uh, and it's been collected in this this book. They've added some things. The book launch is tonight, 7 o'clock, King's English Bookshop in uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, I want to turn to the same, similar area. Uh, Scott Abbott, to you. Uh, I want to start here. You, I think you both taught at BYU, at least at one time. Yes, uh, Sam longer than I, but both of us for, I over a decade, and Sam for 30 years, I think. And so you've made, each of you have made that journey uh, physically with just a few miles to UVU, but also it's metaphorical, it's, <laughs> there's a lot involved there. Yeah, Sam and I worked really hard at BYU uh, because we believed in it as an educational institution, and uh, we'd both gone to school there earlier, and those are our co-religionists, and uh, so we both chose to work there, and and uh, I think we did a good job. Um, um, there was a, there was a point when in 1993 when uh, BYU fired several young professors, claiming that they hadn't uh, they hadn't produced enough scholarly work, and uh, Sam and I formed a chapter of the American Association of University Professors there and defended them. And the university finally recanted and said they'd been fired for other reasons, uh, statements they'd made to the press about uh, being pro-choice or those kinds of things. So they recanted, but um, that was a moment when we both started thinking maybe this isn't such a good place for us. Uh, if there's not academic freedom and if there isn't the uh, substantial um, commitment to truth and honesty, um, maybe we could find a, a better place. And luckily we did. Hmm. And I should say better place for us. Yeah, yeah. And you're both happy there at UVU. Um, you also talk about your one of your brothers who who came out, I think, later in life as, as gay. Yeah. My brother John was gay, and that's a very hard thing to be in a uh, in a very strict Mormon family, as ours was. Um, so I started feeling that tension between loyalty to my brother and loyalty to uh, an institution that increasingly uh, became uh, aggressive against 
people like my brother, and that was a critical moment. John died of AIDS in uh, about that same time uh, in the early 90s, and uh, you put those things together, and uh, I finally decided loyalty to my brother was more important than loyalty to that institution. There's an incident. There, there's elements of humor to this, uh, but it also illustrates the, the, you know, the the range of belief in one family. You you have I don't know at least one child, at least the point maybe others who remain believers, remain in in the LDS Church. Um, at one point, and I think uh, Sam is telling the story at, at this point. Um, you write a letter to your son who's serving a mission in Hong Kong. Yeah, and and uh, quote uh, quote Ed Abbey to him. Yeah, Ed, uh, so so here I'm no longer uh, a Mormon, and my son Nate is a uh, missionary in uh, Hong Kong, and uh, I'm reading at Abbey, and I uh, I find that passage where Abbey is talking with somebody who's decided to go be a missionary, and Abbey says, "So you're going to go missionize the savages? Aren't they savage enough already?" And uh, I tell Sam the story, and he said, "So how did Nate reply?" And uh, I told him Nate wrote a letter back and said, I love you, Dad. And uh, Sam said, oh, you're a lucky man. So I think we do a fairly good job respecting one another in uh, in my family, those who are still Mormons and those of us who are not. And I, that's deeply important, I think, that kind of mutual respect. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, the, the, it gives you an insight into, well, into your personality, for one. <laughs> and, and I thought that was an excellent response from your son. Said, I love you, Dad. Which, which, as Sam says, that, that makes you a lucky man. Uh, we're talking with uh, Scott Abbott and Sam Rushforth, UVU professors, authors of uh, this interesting new book, Wild Rides and Wild Flowers, Philosophy and Botany uh, with Bikes. I wonder if we'd uh, talk a bit about your musings on aging. Very interesting musings. Uh, start with you, Sam. Um, several passages in the book, you're... You're thinking about, uh, you know, advancing age, and uh, and what what that's going to mean. What uh, talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, I, I, aging is on my mind a lot. Uh, I, I have no fear of death. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I have a, a great fear of deterioration uh, and being uh, of. Uh, a, a problem to somebody. I can't do that. I, I won't do that. I'll figure out a way not to. But um, the, the thing I also worry about, I, I don't want to leave my friends and family. I, I like what's going on here. E- even though I'm scared about things, e- even though I'm um, frustrated with things, even though the world is a, a, a frightening place and, and there are too many people, and there are so many problems. I like it here, and I'm I'm not I'm not quite ready to leave the dance. And so, when I worry about aging, I'm worrying about those things, uh, not about death. Uh, I, I've had a turn on Earth that nobody else has had. It's been so wonderful and so beautiful that I couldn't be anything but grateful for it. Uh, and I'd like a little bit more. Yeah. Were, were those concerns, those worries, you say not about death but about aging, were those, I don't know, accelerated, affected by your, by your accident? No, not at all. Uh, I, I, I think um, the, the accident that I had 
I, I didn't think it was as serious as it was. Uh, it turns out that uh, that when Scott pulled me out of the blood puddle, <laughs> then the EMTs came and they took it very seriously, put me on a board. Again, I, I had all kind. I was they, they, everyone at the e, uh, ER was very concerned. They thought I had broken my neck. But I, uh, on, on the way to the uh, hospital, I felt just fine. I said, look, you fellows will find a bar. We can stop off, and I'll buy you a beer. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that actually made Nancy, my spouse, feel better because my behavior was just as bad as ever. But, uh, <laughs> Re- reassuring, it, it, I guess, yeah. <laughs> reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, never, I never swung towards uh, deity, and I never swung towards aging. I was. Uh, I, I knew that I would heal. I knew that I could be uh, put back together again, uh, and uh, and by golly, it happened. Hmm. Scott, I you... only have one eye, but yeah. having one eye is wonderful. Yeah, well, that that's a great way to look at it, uh, Scott. At some point, you're, I guess, you're biking down the trail and and talking to uh, your friend Sam about Goethe. By the way, I don't, you know, I, when, when I'm, well, I rarely bike, but if I were, I probably wouldn't be talking to my friend about Goethe and Kant. And, uh, so that's a very, very highbrow and, and good of you. Uh, but but you you quote a, a poignant story from, I think it's Goethe, uh, about a man who's concerned with aging. And yeah. so he takes a uh, cabinet the of... The title ma- is The Man of 50 Years Old, something like that. And uh, he, he, uh, he's, he buys a box of makeup. So this is this is uh, late 18th century that we're talking. But this guy buys a box of makeup and and tries to look younger than he than he really is. And that just seems absurd to me and to Sam too. The uglier we get, the the happier we are. Every every new scar is uh, like a acquisition. And so that was a that was a counterexample. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's your attitude? You're gonna you're gonna bike as long as you can. Do you do you, do you go into aging fighting it, or can you uh, reach some acceptance? Or what what's your attitude? Tom, here's the real problem. Uh, you know about geological upthrust. The mountains around here are are getting steeper and steeper all the time. And and Sam and I have measured that year by year. Every year, the same past the same part of the trail is getting harder to climb, and it has nothing to do with our aging. It's geological upthrust. So, if the Earth would just quiet down, I think we'd be fine. <laughs> That's right, and it's happening fast. I guess is, is, is what I'm taking from that. Yeah, uh, we're going to take another brief break. Uh, when we come back, uh, more uh, interesting uh, wild rides and wild flowers: philosophy and botany with bikes is the title of the book. Scott Abbott and Sam Rushforth are UVU professors. And uh, this book is the result of regular columns resulting from their friendship and their rides along the Great Western Trail uh, in the the part of the world where they live, Utah County, uh, for the Salt Lake Observer and then later for uh, for Catalyst magazine. And uh, along that trail, they talk about everything from aging to family to belief uh, to nature, of course, as well. I'll get to Sam... Rushforth to tell me about these photographs or these drawings, I guess, that I'm not sure what they are. They're diatoms. I'll get him to tell me about that. Uh, Microscopic uh, little organisms and why he did that. They're at the head of every chapter, I believe, in this book. More following the break. 
Utah Public Radio wants to know, who do you think you are? A radio version of the popular television series where you search for family connections. From beginning to end, we want to know why your family history matters, how you search for your roots, and what you have learned from your family tree. Senator I R Senator? He was a senator? Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's Sarah Pownell. Wow. Charlemagne. Are you kidding me? Share your stories with us by going to upr.org and clicking the Become a Source link. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3, offering lunch items including veggie burgers with a lemon garlic aioli or lentil salad with tarragon vinaigrette. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Two university professors set out to bike the Great Western Trail again and again, observing and writing about its variations with every season. The accounts of their adventures, however, refuse to be limited to flora and fauna as they explore fear of aging, male behavior patterns left over from junior high, anguish at the restless uh, development of wildlands, what Thoreau described as wild and noble uh, sights, such as they who sit in parlors never dream of. We're talking about uh, UVU professors uh, Scott Abbott and Sam Rushforth. They are uh, involved in a book launch for their book, which is Wild Rides and Wild Flowers, Philosophy and Botany with Bikes. That's tonight, 7 o'clock, King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Then on March 26th, there's a reading at Utah Valley University Library Auditorium at noon. And on April 22nd, reading a discussion as part of the Orem Rights series at Orem Public Library, 7 p.m. for that. The event tonight, 7 o'clock, King's English Bookshop. The book is out from uh, Tory House uh, Press. Sam Rushforth, um... There are images of diatoms uh, spread throughout this book. What are those, and, and why'd you put those in? Well, a couple of reasons. First off, uh, that's my field of research, basically, and I was uh, shooting a bunch of photographs one day, and Scott saw them and, uh, and was very much taken with them, and he said, I want one of those at the beginning of every chapter of our book. I just think they're so fantastic. And the other, the, the thinking behind it is, we talk about a few things on the trail, and we talk about some flowers and some lichens and some other things. But in the river below us, there's there's a whole other ecology and other ecosystems that are just as complex. And if you expand that to the earth, it's almost never-ending. There are there are you could spend your entire life doing one small area. And in fact, we could never learn everything there is to know about the Great Western Trail if we spent our whole lives writing it. So uh, you, these, in a way, are metaphorical to say the Great Western Trail is interesting and has lots of things we can learn, but there are other ecosystems that are equally uh, interesting and equally complex. I wonder if I could have you, uh, Scott, read a, a passage. This is from... Uh... The very bottom of page 331, perception is a tricky business. Very interesting. You're, you're, you're out in nature, of course, a lot, as many of us are. And that gets you talking about and thinking about how we perceive the world around us. Then, then you quote something from, uh, I think, Goethe. Um, 
It, the paragraph starts uh, at the tricky. Uh, uh, yeah, at the very bottom of 331, and then it's over, over oh, the yeah. page to 332. Perception. Yeah. Perception is a tricky business, I add. It takes a lot of thought to figure out what we're seeing. I've been reading a new book by Robert Richards called The Romantic Conception of Life, Science, and Philosophy in the Age of Goethe. I told you before, Sam, that Goethe was an advocate of direct observation of the kind we do with our butts in the air. But then Goethe's friend Schiller got him to read Kant, and Goethe wrote this as the foreword to his theory of colors. Quote, the most amazing demand is sometimes made that one should undertake experiential observations without any theoretical assumptions. But we cannot make any progress through mere observation of something. Every observation becomes a consideration. Every consideration becomes a reflection. Every reflection becomes an inference. So one can say that we theorize every time we attend to something in the world. But we should be conscious of this. We should be self-aware of it and undertake it freely. And to use a bold expression, with irony, unquote. Well, I'll be damned, Sam replies. Goethe had some sense after all. <laughs> that's Sam's. <laughs> that's Sam's reaction. That kind of kind of gets to the relationship you two have. Sounds sounds like a lot of fun. You, you say you hope your book will reflect uh, relationships, something like uh, click and clack from car talk, sort of a you know, little bit cantankerous, yeah, I, pushing I each other. Those guys, they're brothers, and uh, and they make fun of each other, and uh, and they're they care deeply about each other, and they know a whole bunch about cars, and. Uh, yeah. Sam knows a lot about botany and uh, ecology, and I know a few things about German literature and philosophy. And and uh, and then at the end, we're friends. Who gets to have a friend like uh, like this for uh, for a couple of decades? Uh, it's it's a rare thing in my experience. And uh, if the book is anything, it's an exploration of that friendship. Mm. Uh, this is a pass. I'll just read this. This is from page 51, a very short passage. I won't read the, um, the scientific names of the flowers, in part because I'll probably slaughter them. Um, but it, I think this captures uh, the spirit of, uh, of one view of, of nature. New flowers everywhere, purple wasatch penstemon, uh, Dalmatian toad flax, delicate white woodland star, spiky yellow goat's beard, mellow orange globe mallow, and purple northern sweet vetch. Enough said. I, I like yeah. that at the end. I don't know which one of you wrote that one, but enough said, you say. Yeah, there, there's a way that nature is enough said in our words. In fact, Sam was nervous about this from the very beginning. He said there's too many words, and, uh, and uh, sometimes it's just enough to be there and not say it. Hmm. I wonder if we could have you, uh, let's, let's see if turn to this. Uh, quickly enough here. Um, there's a, a very moving passage, page 346, and I believe this is Sam writing. He addresses it to, to you, Scott. This is by email, November in Orem. Yeah. We just have you read those those four paragraphs, uh, the, the rest of the page sure. there. Scott, it's deep night and I'm awake, obsessing again about the end game. As a biologist and melancholist, I swim in the past, dwell in, on the future. We are the only animals on Earth who do this. I've put on my dad's ruby ring after 30 years, trying to conjure his memory. In great detail, I examine the early photographs of my mother, trying to see the character deeply ingrained in her face that would come out later at difficult times in her lives. She's, a beautiful, she's beautiful in her youth, trusting eyes, auburn hair, head tilted slightly sideways as if trying to figure something out, 
something just beyond brilliance. Mom and Dad, both of them wondering about their relationship, puzzled about who they were, why they couldn't make their lives work, why they felt battered and betrayed, trying to, uh, I was going to say, to delete their children, (laughs) (laughs) trying to relate with their children, wondering what their own lives meant. Two people unprepared to live together, perhaps even deep lovers, who were beyond the hard tasks of a life together, unable to allow their initial attraction to ripen into long-term mutual respect, trying to figure out how to deal with a brilliant clutch of children that appeared along the way. Most people appear to be in this swirl. It seems to me to be one of the central issues of life. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. I think it's, you know, maybe for a lot of people, thinking about the end game, you your mind goes back. Yeah, there's very, mm-hmm. very deep insights into your mother and father, and uh, probably universal there. No, thank you. I wonder, uh, Scott, if, if you could tell me about, uh, I can't remember which son this is, but uh, this this involved of interest to people uh, up here in Logan. Um, apparently, he, he, I don't know if he's still going to Utah State University, but he decides he wants to, to live up Green Canyon. Yeah, that, that's my son, Ben, and he had a big scholarship. In fact, he had two scholarships. He had more money than he knew what to do with uh, Utah State, which he loved, by the way. And uh, so I keep worrying about him not having a room for his second year up there, and he says, I'll take care of it. And so then I'm driving him up uh, with with his stuff uh, on that first day when other parents are arriving with their children. and, And he directs me up to Green Canyon, and uh, he's going to camp there. And I say, but this is Logan. It gets cold here. And he says, well, I know that. I've been there for a year. But he wanted to live freely without uh, the trappings of uh, our normal lives. And uh, so uh, I left him there with a tent and uh, his books and some clothes. And and, uh, and then uh, he was there for uh, most of the semester. Uh, but then he decided that having a tent in Green Canyon was too settled for him. So he got rid of everything that he couldn't carry in a backpack, and uh, he basically lived on campus. And uh, so I think there were a couple of other uh, Utah State students doing similar things that same year. Mm. Ben, by the way, graduated, and uh, he went to the University of Alaska to do a Ph.D. in ecology, and he'll graduate this spring, and then he has a postdoc in France. So I guess it all worked out for him. It turned out well. Yeah, you in the, in the book you say, you tell him you're worried about your state of solitude. Good chance you'll turn into the new Unabomber. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that didn't happen. But I, it, on the other hand, it's kind of ironic because it may be some of your influence on him that makes him want to, I don't know, get out into nature. And I think that part's true. Uh, all of my kids are more adventurous than I am uh, more uninhibited, less inhibited. So uh, I'm proud of them all. We just have a couple of minutes left, and I, I want to end it here, maybe starting with with Scott and then ending with Sam. Um, you, you still bike? What, how do you how do you get onto the nature these days? What's what, what's the pleasure there? There's a couple answers to that, and one is I still have my bike, and I get on it from time to time, but. Three quarters of the the pleasure was riding with Sam, and I'm not about to ride with a one-eyed guy who, who doesn't have that good balance to start with. So, um, so basically, the answer is I don't ride anymore. Mm-hmm. But 
I live uh, on the foothills of, the, of uh, Santa Quinn Peak in uh, Woodland Hills, uh, in south end of Utah Valley, and it's just a beautiful place to hike and walk with the dog, and uh, deer come into our yard, and just saw the first spring beauties this week uh, come up after the winter. So a lot of the same experiences, but uh, without Sam, and uh, that kind of takes some of the shine off it. Uh, Sam, just 30 seconds. What? Uh, how do you get out of nature these days? We walk. Uh, I walk with my spouse, we, uh, and I, I have found, and I do, I'm out quite a bit, but I have found that uh, what I enjoyed as much as anything was the conversation, uh, the, the, the deep thoughts uh, that Scott and I shared and the deep friendship. And so we still have those things, and we still share them. We just don't share the, the bicycles any longer. We'll uh, end it there. Out of time, uh, Scott Abbott, Sam Rushforth, authors of Wild Rides and Wildflowers, Philosophy and Botany with Bikes. Very interesting new book from Tory House Press. And uh, for the book launch is tonight, King's English Bookshop, 7 p.m. in Salt Lake City. Gentlemen, been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Commentator Richard Ratliff. I was talking to my son recently, and he asked, why is an emeritus professor of accounting giving commentaries on human relationships over Utah Public Radio? Can an accountant be taken seriously as an expert on relationships? I hope so, because what I have learned as an accountant is that relationships drive money and everything else in life. Some 24 years ago, I was appointed to a board to evaluate companies for the Shingo Prize for Manufacturing Excellence, and found that more successful companies enjoyed better relationships both internally and externally than less successful companies. It made sense, but I failed to understand why this was true and the specific nature of good and bad relationships. I contacted a few friends in different academic disciplines with some of my questions. Although they all knew a great deal about the subject, the specific answers I needed were not available. I wound up organizing a team of scholars from philosophy, economics, and psychology to do a little research. I used that work in courses I taught at Utah State University. Immediately after my retirement, I had the opportunity to use some of this material in a variety of organizations, which eventually led to an invitation to present this series on UPR. The information gives both hope and opportunity. The research offered surprisingly simple findings with powerful implications. I already have introduced two findings in previous commentaries. First, there is a basic economic principle. Healthy relationships are more beneficial and less costly for everyone involved than unhealthy relationships. Conversely, unhealthy relationships are both harmful and expensive for everyone involved. There is good reason for us to get along together. We would all be happier and wealthier as a result. Second, only two criteria are required for any healthy relationship. Any relationship with both mutual benefit and mutual pleasantness will be healthy. On the other hand, any relationship favoring one party over the other will be at least to some degree unhealthy and therefore less beneficial and more costly than it could be. I suspect you can think of times when you may have gotten what you wanted from a relationship, but it wasn't enjoyable are times when you and others enjoyed each other's company, but the relationship was not productive for any of you. 
and all of us have been involved in relationships where everyone suffered and no one liked it. This is true of presidents and prime ministers, labor and management, Republicans and Democrats, husband and wife, or parent and child. The third set of findings identified four conditions required for any healthy relationship. Briefly, if we need each other, if we respect each other and trust each other, and if we have everything we need to perform our roles and to conduct the relationship, the relationship will be healthy. The point is that there are only four conditions. Four conditions, not 20 or 60 or 500, four. These conditions apply virtually everywhere humans interact, and violation of any of these conditions threatens our happiness, security, and economic welfare. As a final point today, we also recognized a deceitful devil in the mix, a relationship killer, power. Power-driven attitudes, behavior, and worst, power-driven economic, social, and political institutions. I've mentioned this before and shall again. These findings insist that all parties in a relationship share responsibility for each other's welfare. The idea that everyone only look after his own self-interest is simply wrong. No matter how complicated or difficult life becomes, we should be able to count on our relationships with fellow human beings to bring joy and to ease the turbulence of the ride through this life. By knowing this information, we all can be better equipped to develop happier, more fulfilling relationships, and where difficult ones do arise, to improve them. Of all social skills, none trumps these skills. When in doubt, consider the relationships. This is Richard Ratliff. KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM HD1 Logan.